Father, in the comfort of your might. Thank you, Father, for the reminder of your strength, the reminder of your grace. And so, Father, I pray, Lord, that you would be the center of our joy, the center of our peace, the center of our hope, the center of our restoration, that you would be the center of our lives. Father, that we would depend on your might, not our own, your strength, not ours. And Father, that we would give you the glory because you are worthy. And so, Father, I pray that the words of our mouths and the meditations of our heart might be acceptable to you as we come before your word right now, as we sit at your feet, speak to our hearts, Lord. And allow us, Father, not to be just hearers of your word, but doers. Help us, Father, inspire us, encourage us, teach us, Father, to be more dependent upon you for such a time as this. So, Father, give, we give you all the praise, all the honor, and all the glory. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. What's up? How y'all doing? Good, good. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We got people of all, are you guys all from Miami? Gainesville, Florida, not Miami. He's like, don't, don't say Miami. He's like, Gainesville, Florida. Well, welcome, welcome, welcome. We are excited that you guys are here. Welcome to the ATL in Atlanta. Hope your stay is great. Um, if you have your Bibles, open up with me to the book of Galatians. The book of Galatians. We are in the midst of a series. We are in the middle of the series, and today we're going to be in Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, and we're going to be looking at verses 10 all the way to 29. Galatians chapter 3, verses 10 through 29, we have named this series the gospel, the gospel, ver um, Galatians verified, no other gospel, right? One of the things that we've just talked about is that it, the only way we are, the, the best way to um, study counterfeits is by studying the real thing. And so what we're doing is we're going to take, we've taken these weeks to walk through the book of Galatians, right? And where Paul proclaims that there is no other gospel. You see, this is an important question that each and every human being, what we are going to be asking, because there's two primary needs. I don't care where you're from or where you have two primary needs that we all have. Number one is that we all have a need to belong, right? We all have the desire to be a part of something, to be a part of something that gives us a sense of belonging. The other thing is that we all have a sense of the need to matter, Right? And so this is why many of us want to be a part of something that's bigger than ourselves, whether that's found in the form of winning a Super Bowl or a championship or, or doing a great cause. We all have this sense of both belonging and mattering. And here's the reality is that oftentimes um, people will continually continue to do what harms them if we do not give them something to replace it. And so many of us in our search to belonging, in our search for mattering, what ends up happening is that we find ourselves doing things that, we, that are uncharacteristic of ourselves because we need a sense to belong. Even though we know that that thing or that group may harm us, right? And so this is where the beauty of the gospel, because in the gospel that we have a sense of, we have a place that we both can belong in Christ and we can matter right, with Christ, right? And so all of this is answered in the person and work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, because that search for identity is real. Every three or so years, um, every three or so years, my wife and I, we, um, we gather all the kids. We, we have her married with um, six children. 
and we uh, take a picture. This is the most recent picture. And this picture basically is, we, we, it's the Lewis 8. And so every year we do this. And part of it is just a reminder for us that we, that we are here, that like, this is our identity, of, uh, that we're Lewis's, that we're together. And in that, we want to constantly cultivate a sense of belonging and mattering, that no matter what's going on, what's happening in the world, you always have that sense of belonging and mattering. There's problems, there's tensions, there's trials, there's tribulations that we go to. But ultimately, this is a sense of belonging. This is a sense of mattering. And that sense of belonging and mattering is not something that you earn. It's not something that you work for. It's just simply something that you were born into. And that now, because of being born into it, there's this commitment that we have that of to love one another unconditionally, to love one another. That is nothing that can uncommit you from being a part of the Lewis A, right? And again, so this is also important because as you and I flesh out this tension between belonging and mattering, there's a multiple different ways that we do it. But this is ultimately the question that Paul is trying to solve. There's a group of people who are seeking out belonging and mattering, and they're going to do it by any, by all means necessary, by all means necessary. And so Paul in the book of Galatians, has been laying out two primary approaches on how this belonging, how people go about getting this belonging and this sense of matter, this basically this sense of identity. We talk about it here at Blueprint Church in a couple of ways. On one way, we talk about the idea of being, of taking on the hard hat identity. The other way we talk about is a gospel-centered believer. We see and mirror these two terms in the book of Galatians that they're talking about the idea of the works of the law, which correlates the idea of being of the hard-hat identity, or the other side is a gospel-centered believer, which correlates the idea of um, grace through faith of how we receive it. And so real quick, I wanted to kind of break this down because I think it's important about these approaches of where we are trying to answer something that's deep in our heart, the need to belong and the need to matter, right? And especially, how do we need to belong and matter when it comes to God? So on one end, you have the hard-out identity. And see, the hard-out identity starts with belonging and mattering by creating first um, by our behavior. It starts with obedience, Right? And the pattern of the hard head identity begins with obedience, that if I'm going to belong and if I'm going to matter, I have to start with being obedient because and if, if I'm obedient enough, then that will lead or cause me to sacrifice. I got to sacrifice if I'm going to obedient. I got to stop doing certain things. I got to start doing certain things. And, um, and then if I'm obedient enough and if I sacrifice enough, what ends up happening is that I would then receive the love, the love from the community, the love from Christ, the love, whatever it is that I would receive love. And after I receive that love, then and only then will I know that you will be present with me, that you're not going to leave me. As long as I keep performing for you, you will be there for me, right? And then after that, I can now show up with truly who I am because I'm needy, right? And that's the thing that none of us wants to admit that we're needy. But here's the problem with the hard-hat identity. You're never going to perform enough. You're never going to be obedient enough. You're never going to sacrifice enough um, in order to consistently maintain that love. And that's the reason why so many of us has this, he loves me, he loves me not. He loves me, he loves me not. That we go with this back and forth with God, with our friends, because that's what we've been taught in our families, that they love me when I'm doing good and they don't like me when I'm doing bad. 
right? And so this is what is taking place is that we come to this place of how do I earn God's love? And so many of us get tired, we get fatigued, we get frustrated, we throw our hands up in the air and says, I'll forget it, I'm not trying anymore, I'm just gonna go do me, right? And that's so many stories of so many believers of putting on the hard hat identity, right? You see, but you gotta understand that the gospel doesn't start with your obedience, The gospel actually starts with your neediness. And the gospel-centered identity starts, takes that same group of words, but it flips it on its head. That instead of starting with our obedience, instead we start off with need, right? The Bible talks about in 1 Peter chapter 2, it says, in the same, I'm sorry. The Bible talks about in 1 Peter chapter 2 that we are to approach God as a newborn babe. Quick survey. How many of us has been around newborn babes? All right. Another survey. How many of us, um, how much do newborn babes contribute to the overall of the family? Do they pay any bills? Do they do any chores? They don't do much. But you know what they bring is need. And what do newborn babes do with their need? They cry out, right? Newborn babes know what to do with their needs. They cry out, and guess who shows up? We do. Mom, dad, brother, sister, cousin, aunt, whoever's around shows up to the needs of the newborn babe. And this, God is saying this is the same thing, that we're, as believers, we ought to show up in the same way With him, in the same way newborn babes show up, we show up with our need. And with our need, we cry out. The word is confess. We tell the truth about our state. We tell the truth about what's going on. We cry out. And guess what happens? He shows up. He shows up. And because him showing up, it reaffirms and reconfirms that he loves us. It's before we've done anything. It's before we acted right. It's before we did anything right. Again, we're coming in as newborn babes. All we're bringing is our crying. All we're bringing is our needy, but he shows up, right? And it's out of him showing up that we are now, we can affirm the words of the apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, where he says, I am now controlled or compelled by the love of God. And now it's out of the love of God that I now go and I sacrifice. And I am now obedient. That our obedience and our sacrifice does not come from our um, obedience and sacrifice. It does not produce God's love. It comes out of a response of God's love. Paul says, I'm controlled by the love of God. Right? And so the very core of the gospel answers the very foundation of belonging, the very foundation of, need, of, our, of the needs of mattering that we have. And see, and this is what the Apostle Paul is trying to get us to understand in the book of Galatians. And Pastor Carly said it last week. He says, you foolish Galatians, why would you start with trusting in the salvation, trusting in your relationship with God, trusting in your belonging and mattering by faith in Christ. But now you're trying to maintain it through the spirit or through the works of the flesh. 
are what they're saying in the works of the law. And he's basically comparing these two is that you have started this way. Most believers that have been raised in the church would say that I am saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But the problem is, is that most believers on the flip side would also say, but I, they won't, you won't say it exactly like this, but you would say, but I live a better life or I'm more closer to God because of how my works for God. You see, but the Bible turns and he says this. He says, in the same way that we receive Christ, therefore walk in him. He says, like, don't switch things up. Don't get saved by grace and try to keep it by the law. You're confusing things. Like, let's keep it the main thing. And see, and so what the book of Galatians has been talking about is this, this thing, this is deadly thing that is killing believers. It has been killing believers since the gospel came, is, um, since the promise came, is this thing called legalism. And legalism is I do these things, and because I do these things, God loves me more. He loves me more. Because I come to church. He loves me more because I share my faith. He loves me more because I spend time with him. He loves me more because I go to city group. He loves me more because I do good hospitality. He loves me more because of all the things that I do because I pray. He loves me more. And so, and when we stop doing that, then obviously he loves me more when I'm doing it. That means he what? He loves me less when I'm not. And so this is what we go through. We, we, we go through this tension of he loves me, he loves me not. And then it not only comes is that if I go with consecutive times of not doing what God has called me to do, then maybe my, even my relationship, maybe I'm no longer even a part and my salvation is even questioned, right? And so many of us, this is a real struggle, or maybe it's just a struggle for me, Right? But no, this is a real struggle that we have and that we wrestle with because of this God-given need to belong and to matter. And so what Paul does right here is that he goes in and he basically says, let me just give you some verses from chapter, verses, uh, chapter 3, verses 10 through 29. Um, we talked about last week about how foolish it was to switch over. But now I want to give you why. Paul is going to use some language on why it is so foolish and specifically why we are not to rely on the works of the law instead of faith in Christ. And I want you to track through all the words. I want you to look at words like because and so that and for, because these are all words that's talking about I'm giving you a reason why we do not trust in the works of the law. Instead, we trust in faith in Christ because this is the command that Paul has said, and he has said in many ways, in the same way we receive Christ, therefore walk in him. All right, so Galatians chapter 3, verse 10, basically, it starts off in the first four verses, and I want you just to, to, to listen, right, to these, in these five verses, there's four reasons that we see of why it's foolish to rely on the works of the law. Number one is that we see this in verse 10. For all who rely, there's that word, all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. Because, that word, because, it's saying that's the reason why. Why are we all under a curse? It is written, everyone who does not do anything written in the book of the law is cursed. 
Verse 11. Now, it is clear that no one is justified by, before God, by the law. Because, that's the second time we see that, the righteous will live by faith. But the law is not based on faith. Instead, the, the one who does these things will live by them. Verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Because it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Verse 14, the purpose was that the blessing of Abraham would come to the Gentiles by Christ Jesus. So that, or because, we could receive the promise, spirit through faith. So Paul in here, in these five verses, gives us four reasons on why it's foolish for us to rely on the works of the law when it comes to belonging and mattering with Christ. The word that we use here is justified by Christ, justification or righteousness. Verse 10, the first, it says the first reason why, that the works of the law leads to our condemnation. The works of the law leads to our condemnation. It says in verse 10, for all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. Because it's written, everyone who does not do everything written in the book is of the law is cursed. So the first thing that he says that the, the works of the law leads to condemnation, first and foremost, is because you, in order to not be cursed, you have to obey the law perfectly. You have to obey the law perfectly. That he uses a verse, and, and Paul, in his masters, he uses, he's talking to Old Testament saints, people who are Israel by birth. And he's saying, here's give the reason why. He says, listen, I'm going to use passage. He quotes this passage in Deuteronomy 27 and 26, where it says, anyone who does not put the words of this law into practice is cursed. And he tells us, be holy as my Father in heaven is holy. But not only is, is it like, are you under a curse if you try to rely on the works of the law, um, perfect, not only because you don't do it perfectly, but let's just look at our history. Israel hasn't performed well historically, right? And let's, let's just go back. In the book of Deuteronomy, Moses is setting up the thing that he's about to send the people of Israel, the younger generation, into the promised land. He gives them the book of Deuteronomy, Right? And in Deuteronomy, both in Deuteronomy, he repeats in Deuteronomy chapter 28, he repeats something that he said earlier in Leviticus chapter 26. That if you um, go back and read Leviticus 26, Deuteronomy 28, you would see what's taking place that there's two realities that's going on. That these realities are realities of Jesus, of God saying, if, I, if you obey me, then I will bless you. If you disobey me, then I will curse you. So basically, he says that in Leviticus and in Deuteronomy, he says obedience brings blessings, disobedience brings cursing. And so he basically says, well, let's look at our track record. From that time in Deuteronomy, then you move to the book of Joshua. In the book of Joshua, the people of Israel go 21 in one. There's only one war that they ever lose in all of the book of Joshua, and that's because of the sin of Achan. 
right, in Joshua chapter 7. They go 21 and 1, but how do we end up when they start getting peace and rest? They end up with Joshua basically saying, man, y'all are wilding out. And he says, let's go back and recap all of God's faithfulness all the way from the beginning and then get us to this point now. And basically, he comes to the point where he says, listen, Y'all are wilding out. God has been faithful. Even when God has been faithful, we have been faithless. He says, but, and he says, choose. That's the words that's on every grandmother. Y'all grew up with a grandma with us, like, in Joshua 24. He says, choose ye this day who you will serve. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We have seen that growing up. We have seen that everywhere, right? But basically, he just says, that's where Joshua is. He says, listen, even when God has been faithful, we've been faithless. 21 and 1, we're still being faithless. Oh, let's move on to the book of Judges. In the book of Judges, that as they started setting up judges and kings, what do we have? Cycles over and over again that we start off in the book of Judges and you have people who there's a, they experience a, 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 a period of peace and silence, but then they allow sin to come rapid, unchecked sin. And then God was like, all right, I'm going to raise up somebody and I'm going to punish you through raising up and you're going to be under persecution. So he raises up someone. Then they cry out and they say they cry out in supplications like, please, Lord, deliver us. Then God raises up a savior, which is known as a judge. People like Samson and Gideon in, in the book of Judges. He raises them up. And then he, that judge delivers Israel. And then we have a period of Silence again. So we have these five things who repeats over seven times in the book of Judges. Basically, it's saying the same thing. When God has been faithful, we have still been faithless. He said, well, let's go to the kings. And even in the kings, most of the kings were wicked kings. They did not trust God. They weren't like David, right? We have so many examples of that. It ultimately led to God raising up 12 prophets saying, repent, or I'm going to judge you. Repent, or I'm going to judge you. They don't repent, and guess what happens? They end up in Babylon, right? You understand, like, Paul is basically saying, like, listen, like, the law is putting you under condemnation because the bottom line is, is that, one, you're not perfect. Two, your history and where you come from ain't perfect. The track record ain't good. And then ultimately, he says, listen, the law in and of itself is not sufficient. Just imagine, I've been in Atlanta for about 15 years. I've been, in, been here for 15 years. Just imagine I kept every law, everything, every record. I did never speed it. I never hit, stole anything. I've never done anything, right? And let's just imagine I went to the, the governing authorities in Atlanta. I did not tell them all of the record. Man, I've never done anything. I've been, I kept my nose clean. I haven't did any dirt. All of those things. And then I would say, all right, so give me justification. Give me something. Do you think anybody would be like, yeah, go get him a medal? What, I mean, do you think that anybody would do that? And guess what? Even worse than that, guess what? If I go out and then go steal something, guess what's going to happen to me? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to jail. You see, what we got to understand is that Paul is saying is that the law by itself is not meant to justify us. It is not meant to justify us. It was meant to do something different. And, and that's what we have to understand is that he creates this reality that the law alone cannot redeem us. But not only does he go, he says, but the law, not only is it put us under condemnation, but he says the works of the law are incompatible with faith. Verse 12, it says, but the law is not based on faith. Instead, the one who does these things will live by 
faith, again, he quotes another passage. This time he's quoting Leviticus chapter 18 and 5, talking about how both the law and faith are two very different approaches to God, right? The law demands perfect compliance, where faith requires simply trust in Christ, right? And so he says that in verse 13, that, that like understanding that these are two different roads that are incompatible with one another, that ultimately that we don't depend on our works, but we depend on Christ's work, his redemption. Verse 13, he says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us because it is written, cursed is everyone who hungs on a tree. So ultimately what the gospel is saying is he that knew no sin became sin for us so that we can have the righteousness of God. And he says, and and so part of that, if that is true, we can't have both. It can't be that plus your works is just Christ that redeems which leads us to the third verse, verse 14. He says, the works of the law are unprofitable for our salvation. Verse 14 says, here's here's the purpose. The purpose was that the blessing of Abraham would come to the Gentiles by Christ Jesus. Why? So that we could receive the promised spirit through faith. You see, Paul wasn't saying, let me just be real clear. Paul wasn't saying that the Mosaic law was was valueless, right? The the Mosaic law is a part of the New Testament or the part of the Old Testament, right? In which we know in 2 Timothy chapter 3, 16, that all scripture is God-breathed and it's profitable. So he's not saying it's profitless or it's valueless. What Paul is saying was that obeying the Mosaic law never results in the salvation or the justification of us as believers. We don't put our confidence in our ability to maintain the works of the law or to completely obey it because we're shut up under condemnation. And he ultimately, in the last point, basically, in, um, in this, he says, the works of the law would invalidate the promise of the Savior. And he says in verse 15, he says, brothers and sisters, I'm, I'm using a human illustration. No one sets aside or makes additions to a validated human will. Now, the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say and to his seeds as though referring to many, but referring to one and to your seed who is Christ. He said, here's my point. The law, which came 430 years later, does not invalidate a covenant previously established by God and thus cancel out the promise. He says, for if the inheritance is based on the law, it is no longer based on the promise, but God has graciously given it to Abram through the promise. So ultimately what he says is like, listen, I've explained to it how it condemns us. I've explained to it how it's, uh, it's incompatible with faith. I've explained to you of how it's unprofitable for our salvation. But let me also explain that if, if we buy into the works of the law, it, will, it would invalidate the promise of a Savior. It would be sort of like if Chris, older Chris and I, it would, we made an agreement. We had a lease. Like, he's like, hey, Chris, man, you want, let's, I'm going to lease you out to you, this studio to lease out, right? And, and we had this agreement. We put it on paper, and we, um, we signed on the dotted line this lease agreement. And then, but if Elder Chris basically 
here. Um, later on, I was like, man, times are getting hard. Things are getting busy. So, hey, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to get a, a third-party agent to work with you so that things can be done different and, you know, quicker because it's hard for me to get to you or whatever, right? So we kind of make that. And say, I'm just going to connect with this third party. I want you to now connect with that third party, right? And so he connects with that third party, and him and that third party come to a conclusion. They just say, hey, we found a better way to interact with one. We found a better way to do it, right? So let's come. That We've done that now. That has taken place. Now, five years later, when we come back, because of the agreement that I, the, the, the new, um, they said they can do it better, it does not change the original agreement. They may have done it differently. They may have fleshed it out differently. That may have worked out better for them at that time in that season with him and that third party. But when I come back, I'm going to come back to the original covenant that you, that me and Chris signed at the very beginning. And so this is the same thing. God he says, listen, I established a covenant with Israel through Abram 430 years prior. And that promise that I made to Abraham, that covenant that I made to Abraham, by the way, I made that covenant. You remember I put Abraham asleep because I knew that when I'm faithful, you would be faithless. So ultimately, I made a covenant with myself because it's dependent not on your faithfulness, but dependent on my faithfulness. Right. And so he puts Abraham asleep. But later on, he comes in and he says, man, things are wild now. He comes and basically creates the law. Right. And then he says, but it does not invalidate what I was do what I did with Abram. Right. And so he says that if we now put all of our confidence in the law, we no longer it invalidates the promise of Abram. And so he's ultimately saying, this is my point. So the question naturally becomes, is this like, if that is the point, if, that, if, if, if there is the law, and if you came 430 years later, then why then did you even bring the law? That's where we naturally go. And that's where he goes in verse 19. And he talks about the purpose of the law. In verse 19, he says, why? Why then was the law given? Why are you putting us all through that if you are like, why, why? And then he gives us the answer. He says, it was added for the sake of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise was made would come. The law was put into effect through angels by means of a mediator. Now, a mediator is not just for one person alone, but God is one. So Paul gives us three reasons of why it is important for the purpose of the law. The first reason is this, that the law is meant to mediate until the promise. That it was meant to mediate. What that, that, that idea of where it says it was added for the sake of transgressions, basically that idea of uh, that it was added for the sake of trans transgressions ultimately means that it was there to kind of mediate. That word mediate was like there was sin that was running rapid, but there was no law in a sense. So how do we do that? And so there's three common understandings of that. That one, that, um, that he, the reason why that he gave us the law to mediate until the promise, one is that it restrains sin, right? Anytime you establish a law that it some way curtails sin, it stops sin to some degree. You start creating rules, 
right? So that's one way. The other thing is that it reveals sin. How do I know something is sin unless it is explicitly said that it reveals the standard of God, right? If the Lord, if it reveals the standard of God, it shows when we are in violation of God's law. So it reveals sin in us. But the other thing is that it does is that it arouses sin, right? And it ultimately showing our enmity that we have with God. Just imagine, have you guys ever, was ever going to do something like, like I was, you was planning on cleaning the house until your mom or dad came and says, clean the house. And now all of a sudden, you like, I was about to clean the house. Now I can't clean the house because you told me to clean the house. Right? Like, what is that revealing? That's just revealing our sinfulness. Right? And so part of this is saying that the, the bottom line is, is that he's saying, hey, like, the law was there to show us how wicked we are. Because the thing is, is that it's like walking down and you see a pole or a wall that says, do not touch, wet paint. What do you want to do? Touch it. Don't listen. What do you want to do? I want to listen. Don't look at me. Then you want to look at like everything we do, we want to do the opposite. Even if we said salvation was all you have to do is come to church every Sunday for the rest of your life and you will be saved. You know what we would not do? Go to church every Sunday. Why? Because our wickedness, right? And so the law just showed how much we are enemies of God. So Paul is saying the law was meant to show us that. Why? Because the law was also meant to point us to the promise, right? It was meant to establish the need for our promised Messiah. Verse 21, it says, is the law therefore contrary to God's promises? Paul says, absolutely not. For if the law had been granted with the ability to give us life, then righteousness would certainly be on the basis of the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin's power. So that, there is that word again, so that the promise might be given on the basis of faith in Christ Jesus to those who believe. Basically says, if we were, if we could get saved by the law, we would have been all saved. He says, but here's the problem. What the law exposed in each and every one of us is that there's no possible way for us to get saved on, ours, in, on ourselves. So to trust in yourselves is crazy. Right? He says, he says that's the reason why, because it's, the law was there and meant to point us to the promise that we might be given the basis of faith in Christ Jesus to those who believe. In verse 23, it says, before faith came, we were confined under the law, imprisoned until the coming, until the coming faith was revealed, that we was locked in, right, to our own devices. And he says, finally, the law is meant to be our tutor until the promise. Verse 24 says the law. So he says the law. What is the law then for? He says the law was our guardian. It was our tutor until Christ came so that we, would, we could be justified by faith. But since the faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. And for and for through, under a guardian, for through faith, you are all sons 
daughters of God in Christ Jesus. Here's the thing you got to understand is that our activity doesn't make us distinct. Our identity does. Our activity doesn't make us distinct. Our identity does. You see, Angie and I, again, showed you earlier that we're married. We have six kids. One of my daughters has, has come in from... Um, yeah, I'm from Georgia Southwestern, she plays basketball, and she's coming in for just the weekend. And, you know, but Angie and I, when we have parenting, basically we have kind of three stages of how we parent, right, of how we parent. And so we talk about parenting in kind of three kind of distinct periods. We have zero through 12, and then zero through 12 period basically says it's about control. Right? I don't really want to have a lot of talking back and forth. This is simply about control. You do what I say, do it because I said do it. And, he, and um, obedience is immediate, completely, and cheerfully. Right? All of that. Right? So here's control. That's 0 to 12. But then there's 13 to 18. And the 13 to 18 period is what we, saw, we, we call it's conviction. Right. And conviction is that I'm no longer basically just said I'm doing just do exactly what I say or whatever. But we hopefully we use the zero through 12 says something like do not hit your brother. But the reason why we are saying don't hit your brother, because that's not loving your brother. And the, the, the greater command is to love your brother. But the way it is fleshed out in this time, because you're not going to understand, you know, love your brother. You understand. Do not hit your brother. So I'm going to teach you very specific things, but point you to the greater law. But then hopefully, when it comes to the time of conviction, that the new conviction that I'm now, that you're now governing yourself, is the conviction of what we've been teaching you in the first 12 years, the conviction of love God and love your neighbor. And so you always can come back to the thing, are you loving God and are you loving your neighbor? Right. And so what we talk about here is that we say there's three rules at the church is one, love God, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul and strength. The second is love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. And the third is do whatever else you want to do. Because the restriction is in the first two. And if we could teach people to be dependent on the spirit, understanding the spirit, understanding the purposes of God, that all we have to do is teach people to love God and love one another. But zero to 12, we have to teach them very specifically what that means, what that looks like. And then the 19 and beyond is basically where we go into the period of counsel. So here's the thing. When I go, uh, when I come, um, when my daughter, she comes back from college, she is, she's now here from college, and she basically don't think she has any rules anymore. Right? I don't know if anybody has college students and knows. They, like, they just feel like they are no, no longer rules. They, they do what they want to do. But you see, here's the thing. The goal isn't that we now try to come and lace back up more rules because that is not, that's not how it's going to work per se in that because it's, but Paul is saying that there's a greater law and it's the law of love. We have to always understand what Paul is ultimately saying is that love is always a better motivator than law. Love is always a better and stronger motivator than law. If you are simply telling people, why you ain't never at church? Why you ain't never at church? You need to come to church more. Here's what's going to happen. They'll come to church for a couple of times until they no longer feel that conviction. And then they'll guess, guess what's going to stop happening? They never they ain't coming back to church. Right? But what if we talk about, no, the reason why we come to church is that you're missing a significant part in this love relationship with God. 
And that it's not, is that he wants so much and that we recognize that what love truly is, is love is a place that brings both belonging and mattering. It's a commitment of my will to your needs and best interests regardless of the cost. That it's an invitation that is overcoming your brokenness, that overcoming your loneliness. What if the church was actually like that? What if the church was actually talking about that the, that the church was known for its fruit of the Spirit? Who would not want to come to a place that is about love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, long-suffering? Who doesn't want to go to that place? Who doesn't want that? No, and if you are, you're lying because here's the thing. Here's the thing. We all have a need to belong and matter. We all want it. You see, but we want to be known for everything else. We want to be known by the works of the flesh. We want to be known by how hard I try. We want to be known of how whatever our ism is. And so Paul, he starts off with this. He starts off with we want to be, instead of being known by our identity, you want to be known by your activity. You want to be known for all these things. And Paul goes on and says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, even if you feed the homeless and do all the stuff, if you do it without love, you're just like clanging cymbals. No one's impressed. Even if you do all the activities in the world, but if you do it without love, you see, it's love that Christ is bringing. It's love that establishes that need to belong and that need to matter that the world is looking for. And again, people will continually do what harms them. They are going to seek out after love from different places and all the wrong places until we give them something better. Until we give them something better. You see, and that is what the gospel does. And see, and this is the reason why he says in verse 27, he says, listen, he gives us the kind of the final reason. He says, for those who were baptized in Christ have been clothed with Christ. He takes us on as his own. People who are not deserving. He sees us. We matter. He gives us space. He clothes us. He puts on his clothes on us. And this, I love this verse in verse 28. He says, there is now, there is no Jew or Greek. He says, all this ethnic racial stuff, we're one in Christ. There's no slave and free. The socioeconomic stuff, it's all done with. There's male or female this feminism or even patriarchal, like, that's done with. Since we are all one, we're one in Christ. He says, basically, I'm eliminating all of our isms, all of our philosophies, all of our worldviews, all of our things that we put all of our confidence in. I'm getting rid of all of our isms, all of our legalism, all of our ethnocentrism, all of our patriotism, all of our egalitarianism, all of our isms. Whatever ism that we are, it's not Christ plus your ism. It's Christ in Christ alone. And it's in Christ that we come together. So in verse 29, and I'm closing, it says this, and if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed. Heirs. That means your sons, your daughters to the promise. You see, Paul is saying to us, stop relying on the works of the flesh. God knows you have a sense, you have a need to belong and matter. 
So whether you are in church, if you are in church, let's, let's be more dependent on the spirit and not our works so that we can create a space that we can all belong and matter in Christ Jesus through the power of the spirit. If you're not in Christ Jesus, if you're not a believer, try out the church. It's a tangible expression of your search for significance, your search for belonging, your search for mattering. God loves us, and it's out of that love that God has for us that we are supposed to be able to demonstrate a love for one another. But that type of love doesn't come by us trying harder, doing better. That type of love has, is dependent upon us trusting, trusting in the Spirit of God to present the work of God. And that's my prayer for us. Transfer our trust, whether you're a believer or whether you're an unbeliever, transfer your trust. Stop trusting in the works of the law and start trusting and put your faith in, a, in our one and only Savior, Jesus. Father, we're thankful that we can come to you, Lord. I do pray, Lord, that your will be done. I pray, Father God, that the church would stand up and be the bride of Christ. It would be about your business. I pray, Father, that we would be a space where we belong and matter. And it because that we've trusted in the person and work of your son, Jesus. Father, to you be the glory. To you be the honor. We love you. We thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for worshiping with us. For more information about Blueprint Church, visit us online at blueprintchurch.org. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Blueprint Church. Have a great week, and we'll see you next Sunday.